The battle of Britain is about to begin. Welcome back to the Leap Pursuit Podcast. We are talking about solo board games again. I'm sorry, not miniature wargaming. No, no, we're not talking about science fiction aerial wargaming. We're talking about board games. So if you don't like pushing counters around and the smell of cardboard in the morning doesn't appeal to you, just skip on to the next episode. Tonight, we're going to talk to Steve Dixon about Skyhawk. Skyhawk Rolling Thunder 1966. And I know not everybody is on video here, but yes, I have finally bought another game. I realize that surprises everyone. Steve, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. Thank you, Doug. It's good to have you on the podcast. I know we've tried to link up over a couple different things and times and uh, hasn't always worked out, but I finally got my paws into Skyhawk. Uh, and, and I got to say, I'm happy I did. But I want to oh, make good. sure we talk to you and get your perspective on it because, uh, you know, a lot of people laugh at us. We don't do just generic board game reviews. I would say if we do anything, we do board game exposés. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we dig into all the, the dark secrets behind why you designed something and talk about it. But first, before we delve into Skyhawk itself, uh, let's talk about your gaming background. So how did you end up being a gamer? Were you uh, corrupted early by Avalon Hill or SPI games, or did you come to it late in life? Uh, Actually, it was early. I got three Avalon Hill games in uh, Christmas 1967. Nice. Battle of the Bulge, Africa Corps, and Jutland. Uh, I have my copy of Africa Corps sitting right across the way from me. I was was thinking about it the other day. (laughs) My Battle of the Bulge is in the garage. I still have that copy. So it's an over a 50-year-old copy. So Yeah, I never owned it. I I borrowed it at the game store, the book and game store my parents uh, owned, but I never, ever got my own copy of it, so... Yeah, so my friends and I, we, we played those games to death, especially Jutland. We had to clear off the living room floor to play it. <laughs> yeah. and uh, But we enjoyed it, and that's how I got my start, and it's been a lifelong uh, obsession ever since. Nice, nice. Well, yeah. I, I have to ask, going from that style of game that is the, the classic hex encounter, uh, you know, old style wargaming, as I, as I would call it, um, how did you make the shift into to designing mostly solo games because you know, I've seen some of some of your other stuff out there that's that's fairly traditional but I, I would wager to say you've made your name as a solo game designer right yeah well as you well know it's hard to get opponents <laughs> yes I know <laughs> yeah so uh, I said well why not design games where you have to beat the system basically and that's base that's that's the main answer right there. You can play play it anytime you want in the comfort of your own home. Don't have to worry about finding an opponent and and go at it and see if you can survive X number of missions and go home. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about it as we dig into Skyhawk. The, the interesting thing is I think a lot of solo games tend to get 
panned as repetitive. Um, and w- the nice thing, at least for me, jumping in and not having gone through a bunch of your previous games or or you know followed you over years and and seen things evolve, was I kind of was jumping in a couple games in, so I didn't have to suffer through any previous painful designs or or learning experiences on your part as a game designer. But but what were the things you'd say? You, you got wrong because, you know, everybody, when they design solo games, there's always a, a little bit of, uh, you know, game designers remorse after they kind of kick it out that they're like, well, I could have done a lot more, but I was afraid it was too complex or it didn't fit the narrative. You know, what were some of those things for you as a designer? Uh, well, for me, I tried to keep the games simple yet historically accurate. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, my partner that I work with in California, he's usually the ones that he likes to get the add-ons in. His his big contribution to Skyhawk was the uh, SAR rules and rescuing your pilots if they're down. Right. And it turned out to be a pretty good decision on his part to put that in there. It makes the game more interesting. Yeah, yeah. But uh, other than that, on this particular game, uh, there was nothing really – special about it except for that added in of course dealing with electronic warfare we touched on that uh, with target for tonight with the RAF strategic bombing campaign right. uh, campaign so and, and it's just a little bit more complicated in uh, in skyhawk but not much yeah it, uh, it, was, it, did, it, it was interesting to see um and we'll talk about some of the mechanics i think that's that's a part that either gets hand waved a lot of times by designers or uh, is just difficult for people to incorporate because it is, I'm going to use my big word for the night early. It's kind of esoteric and not many aviators understand electronic warfare. Not many necessarily avionics technicians understand it, uh, much less game designers. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it makes it uh, an interesting concept to, to work in there and to make it fun and to then also, but make it feel kind of thematic about it. Right. Yeah, we kind of we kind of simplified it a little bit because uh, you have your uh, in Skyhawk, you have your uh, electronic warfare aircraft, and you also have the SAM radars uh, uh, to contend with. What we didn't put in was the actual radar stations where uh, the NV would lock in to your planes coming in and send the information to the SAM sites, who would then feed their computers and launch their, you know, have yeah. a way to launch their missiles and then you'd have to jam them. So we kept it simple and I've not put in the main, we abstracted the main radar basically is what we did. Right. To keep, yeah. Well, so. And that was an interesting piece to me because a lot of, a lot of game designers, I think don't understand how an integrated defense system works. Uh, so it's, it's foreign to them to even think about, oh my gosh, there's all these places that the system as a whole influences what uh, your opponent, what the, in this case, the bot or the, you know, the, the system is going to do against you. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so that was, that was kind of interesting on a, on a game design level. Um, well, tell us a little bit about the rest of your life and your background and things that influenced you getting to this point with Skyhawk. Well, my big interest is uh, World War Two and, up until Skyhawk, all my games have been on World War II subjects. Uh, B-29 Super Fortress, Target for Today, Picket Duty, uh, Target for Tonight, and the soon-to-be-released um, expansion for Target for Tonight was the bombing campaign in Italy. Right. And then uh, there's also an expansion uh, for Target for Today with the uh, 
more Axis fighters. Right. But um, and then, of course, the, my military background with my dad in the Air Force, 20 years. I spent four years in the Marines and it just all added up. So as most people say, find something that you like and 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 go with it. Well, for me, it's the World War II history, and, and, and I like gaming, and I just put the two together. Which is probably why I haven't played more of your games, because I, I, I grew up loving World War II history, but now the place I'm in, World War II history is not my fascination. And it, and it's mm-hmm. interesting for the, the other guys in the podcast, um, because they are very much World War II buffs. Uh, I don't know why or where or how I got burned out on World War II history. Uh, maybe like you, because we were talking before the podcast, you know, living in Okinawa, you were there and you got to travel all these World War II battlefields. I feel like the Marine Corps has taken me and drugged me through every World War II battlefield at every location I've ever <laughs> gone. So, so maybe there's a, a little bit of the I'm tired of World War II there, but I, I've become a huge fan of Korea and Vietnam era aviation and 1960s aviation in general. I mean, I'm now looking over at my bookcase and all the the Suez conflict uh, books and things like that, because I think there's there's a lot from that period that um, just gets ignored at the at the historian level, you know, that it's not Mm -hmm. it's talked about um, big picture, but it's not talked about the the individual uh, aviation actions they kind of kind of wave it all together it's like all right it's one big one big air war and there's there's a lot of interesting stories there and so that's that's what i enjoyed with skyhawk was i felt like i was kind of delving into that in a in a more detailed way than than some other solo games uh about yeah, vietnam um, aviation yeah well uh, skyhawk um uh came about I was uh, reading a, a naval history on uh, the Tonkin Gulf incident and then their participation in uh, Rolling Thunder in the early years. And right. the fact they were taken off of carriers and that kind of thing. I said, well, this might be a pretty good idea for a game. And then I got to looking on the Internet and I found a game called Able Dog, which is a yep. print and play, which Sky Raiders over Korea. So I, and I, I kind of liked the way that flowed. And, and I contacted the... Um, uh, the designer of that game and ask his permission if I could use some of his ideas or whatnot from his game and, and try to work it into an idea I had for Skyhawk. He said, sure, no problem. And uh, I started working on it and there you go. Yeah, I, I laughed because I didn't realize Able Dog had influenced you until I was reading the designer's notes at the end and you mentioned it. And I said, wait a minute, I've looked at Able Dog and I actually haven't played it, but I looked at it I'm like, mm-hmm. that's a really cool system. Uh, and so I laughed that uh, I guess I should have done my research and actually played Able Dog early on. <laughs> but uh, it, it was fascinating to me that that was uh, one of the games that inspired you because uh, it seemed like that was a really straightforward system. And as I was playing Skyhawk, you know, full disclosure, I've played it a whole one time. Uh, <laughs> but uh, as I was playing through it, I, I recognized things I'd seen in Able dog and the flow and the overall flow of how the board worked and everything and i said okay this this is a uh it's an understandable starting point and so that it made it a little bit easier for me um although i will pick on you now and go my god if i see another book of charts and tables anytime soon i'm gonna lose my <laughs> mind you know <laughs> it's well it's, if it was it's a good, computer it's, it's detail no and, I, and i'm gonna laugh yeah. you know i'm gonna pick on you a little bit because it is a lot of a lot of charts and um but it's the fact is that's where the detail of the game comes in. And that's where the things mm-hmm. that are not hand waved and not assumed as they are in a lot of other games, there are charts and roles for the interaction of 
you with the SAM sites, you with the radars, you with the AAA, you with the small arms. Uh, so there's there's some detail there. Does it mean that I'm constantly flipping back and forth in a booklet? Yes. Is is that my usual solo gaming? No. So I've had to get a little bit out of my comfort level and go, I, yeah. I had fun playing it, but it was not where I was used to be. <laughs> yeah. I'm used to pushing right. a couple chits and cards and counters around and going, woohoo, there's our game. We're done with the mission. So, Yeah. Well, when you're doing a solo game, and there, there's probably a, a different ways to do it. But for me, I find that the, you need the tables in order to have – that's the opponent right. is the tables. Right. Well, and, and I think – to be fair, while I can pick on you for a book of tables, that like you say, that's that's the interaction and that's the mechanic of how you versus the system is modified because there's modifiers for weather, there's modifiers for, as we alluded to earlier, mm-hmm. your electronic warfare. All those things are going to influence the effectiveness of the threat. Um, on, on just even a most basic level before you even get to the concepts of rolling for what your weather is, rolling for interference. I, I laughed about that one um, and that the uh, the interference tables are anything from bad weather to presidential interference in picking oh, yeah, the targets. Oh, yeah, the, uh, yeah, the random events. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. They, they yeah. were all the bad things that can derail your good plan, uh, all lumped into, into kind of one table. But it, it, to me, it was a, was a different way to look at it because – most of the solo games I have played are very simplified. I hate the term dumbed down um, because I think it takes something away from gamers who want something simple, uh, but they're very simplified and things are very generalized and, and interactions are not modeled. Uh, but what I liked about Skyhawk mechanically is there were lots of things that were modeled and thankfully they weren't simulations. So it wasn't like playing birds of prey where, or air war where everything is a simulation of, of how that system works. It was a, it was a simple model and it was, Hey, here's your chart. Here's your modifiers. Um, and, and you could rapidly kind of figure out how the threat's going to behave, how, how things are going to go. So you do how to react to me. Even with all the, the charts and tables, there wasn't a steep learning curve to uh, Skyhawk after I went through the first iteration of being attacked by all the threats. Then I'm like, okay, now I got it. So, yeah. Um, I really enjoyed that. Now, so let's let's back up a little bit. We talked about Able Dog influencing you. We talked about um, the overall inspirations for the game. How did you, in a sense, set upon Rolling Thunder 1966 Skyhawks? Because you, you alluded to the fact that there's some cool carrier operations. They're participating in in the early phases of the Vietnam conflict. But how did you decide to, to put the stake in the ground there versus all of the other Vietnam aviation things that, that are going on? Uh, to, all my previous games have been land-based. So I said, you know, and I like... Uh, I, I like the action from the carrier as I was reading. It hadn't, <laughs> as far as I know, it hadn't been done before. Yeah. So I said, you know, why not? And so I just randomly chose a carrier that was out there and tracked down one of the squadrons that was on the carrier. And that's how we came up with the Franklin and VA 21 or whatever. Yeah. I can't remember what it was right now. Well, so and, and that's where yeah. that's, the, that's the cool thing because there, there is carrier interaction that you don't see in a lot of other games. There's, you know, the danger of recovery mishaps. There's the danger of, you know, how is fuel going to impact you on your recovery cycle? Um, 
and once again, these things are all modeled. They're not simulations, uh, which, mm-hmm. which I think is, is a good choice. It, it, sure. Is there a level of detail there? Yes. You're going, you're going to take modifiers. You're going to apply them to a, to a landing mishap table and you're going to roll some dice, but it, it at least gives you the realization that, oh, things could go perfectly swimmingly until the recovery. And I could right. still mm-hmm. lose my pilot, lose the airplane, you know, basically fail this scenario, this this mission um, because of something that happens uh, to a totally even undamaged airplane uh, <laughs> coming back right. aboard yeah. the carrier. There, there's always a danger yeah. there. So, you know, both you and I come from, you know, Marine Corps aviation backgrounds. Uh, Naval aviation is kind of in our blood. It's It's kind of cool to see that modeled um in the inside the game did you did you look at percentages for mishaps or or how did you figure how did you decide on how likely it was for a skyhawk a perfectly good skyhawk to crash coming back at the end of the mission well to be honest it was it was just a stroke of luck (laughs) uh i tried looking for the information i couldn't find anything really accurate enough, I guess, or comprehensive enough. So we just took a best guess. Good. Well, and I laughed because I was, I looked at it and I'm like, huh, that seems pretty low for the probable, the probable chances of crashing a perfectly good airplane. I'm like, but I like that because I don't know that I want to play the actual level of mishap danger that, that was out there because, you know, aviation at that point is, as you and I both know, and and a lot of our listeners know, uh, was undergoing a lot of change there. They just started the NATOPS program probably 10 years prior. They're just standardizing things. Angled deck carriers had just come in years prior. So, yeah. They're still figuring out this this whole naval aviation thing. Oh, absolutely, so, absolutely. Especially for yeah. jets flying, they're flying fixed, uh, you know, propeller aircraft patterns with jets. You know, learning uh, a lot of these things. Unfortunately, yeah. sometimes the hard way. So I, I thought it was, I thought it was good to have the risk in there, but but not have it uh, kind of overwhelming. Uh, right. Yeah. That. Yeah, you want to have the player a chance to win somewhere. Right, yeah. <laughs> don't, <laughs> no. want to, don't want to totally ruin their evening. Um, exactly. Well, let's let's talk about some of the other mechanics, because as you and I were talking, uh, when I took my one and only roll through the game, uh, I just said, all right, I'm going to sit down. I've, I've flipped through the rules. I'm going to sit down. I'm just going to chunk through the game, play through it, learn through it. Uh, and unbeknownst to me, I drew one of the more complex missions out there by uh, taking my die roll for a SAM side out there. Uh, but it, it gave me a good chance to work through a lot of the different mechanics and a lot of the different uh, models you had put in there or, or, or I should say the additional threats out there because in Skyhawk, everything kind of starts when you begin your target run. I mean, you, you obviously launch from the carrier, you have all of your other supporting aircraft, but once you start that target run and since it, it starts this recurring habit of the threats, look at you, your, uh, you know, supporting aircraft have a chance to engage, suppress, or knock out those those threats, and this just kind of keeps happening for about four, possibly five cycles, depending on if you decide to come back to the target area. Um, when you went through playtesting, did did that mechanic either get tiresome, or were there times that you're like, I, I've got to change the odds because? I, I can't make it through the target. <laughs> I keep getting uh, beat down. Uh, not really. Uh, as, as the through the playtesting sequence, um, it went through several. As a matter of fact, um, there was really no um, issue with the cycles of attacks. 
Good. And it's up to the player uh, how many times he wants to attack, depending yeah. on the ammunition that he has. <laughs> so it could just be one run, or if he wants to risk it, two or three. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the real contention was uh, the fuel situation. Yep. So we had to figure out and uh, went with what we felt was best after all the input we had from the play testers. And uh, over the course of time, and I, uh, luckily enough, uh, there's been no issue with the fuel system as that I'm aware of. I've right. received no. Well, you um, took. I would say you took a fairly heavy hand with the fuel system, and you you kind of mandated, um, first of all, by saying what route packs are you going to? You have to carry at least this minimum amount of fuel. Um, mm-hmm. you, there was there was not a sense of in some other games. Oh, I'll. I'll I'll choose my own adventure. I'll decide to either light load or heavy load on fuel and see how it turns out. You at least draw a line and go, here's the deal, guys. To, to go hit these route packs, here's the minimum amount of gas you need. And, oh, by the way, expect to do your, your, your pre- and post-mission tanking as well, which always adds another chance for a mishap or something bad to happen. <laughs> Someone right, not to yeah. engage the basket and have to go home. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I, I, I thought it was... In my opinion, it was surprising to me. I, I'm not used to hitting uh, kind of that that hard red line in the game. But it was uh, the the funny thing. You'll probably laugh at this. Is is an as an aviator, it was very easy for me to go. Oh yeah, I got to go to that route pack. I'm taking two external tanks, putting them on the on the wings. Got it. Easy. You know, it was right. It was, yeah. It was yeah. like as we used to always say, a standard conventional load. You knew that certain areas you're going to. These were your your fuel loads, and so I I, uh, I just kind of defaulted to that. Uh, for yeah, the system. And it, right. didn't, it didn't really impact um, my munitions choice. Uh, so I ended up with a SAM site. It probably is no surprise to you as a uh, as an F-18D guy, as a uh, as a big A little F guy. Uh, I loaded up with uh, two Shrikes on the wingtips and uh, a mer full of uh, Mark 82 snake eyes on the center line. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So I was like, if I can't get it through uh, through wizardry and smart uh, aviation with Shrikes, I'm just going to roll in and bomb them with, uh, with 682s. Uh, that actually is how I ended up killing the target, ironically enough. I I did enough damage to um, to suppress it in the uh, in the first shot, um, but then had to roll back around uh, and, and kill it with the Mark 82s. <laughs> there you go. All right. Maybe not the most tactical answer, but uh, was very much a Marine Corps. Uh, you got gonna, the job done. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to go through with a hammer. I probably could have done it with a scalpel, but I'm going to do it with a hammer. So uh, There you no, go. I, I enjoyed that because I one, one of my um, points I was skeptical of going into – the game was I'm like, all right, I'm going to see how he models weapons and I'm going to see how damage effects of weapons are. And, and obviously you have super simplified it. You're, you're not trying to um, to take each of these weapons and model some very unique capabilities. Um, but the fact is you you felt rewarded because you, at least for me, it, it felt like, okay, the effectiveness of my Shrike was what I cared about. It did what I was supposed to do. It knocked the radar side offline. Um, but, but now I've got to go and finish the job, which means now I have to go back through that entire threat package <laughs> evaluation yep. mm-hmm. <laughs> coming back yep. up for my reattack, which was good because it's very thematic. Um, but then I was able to obviously roll in low altitude, um, release the snake eyes and get a overwhelming, uh, amount of damage onto the SAM site. Um, but, but that's something I guess I kind of also want to anchor down on is this is a game that's really core. It's designed around telling the story of one Skyhawk. You're, you're yes. really 
you're, you're talking about that one player airplane. There's a lot of other aircraft that are out supporting you and you can go fly a four ship or a division, as we say in the, in the Navy and Marine Corps. Um, you can fly those things, but it's still really about what is your Skyhawk doing and everyone else is kind of dogpiling uh, right. to help yeah. you do that mission. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Was exactly. That, was that a, um, did, did you find yourself having to throttle back to that level or was that just a kind of natural choice at the beginning where you said, I'm just going to have everybody else, even if we take a four ship of Skyhawks, it's not their story. They're, they're NPCs. They're just going to add to our, our overall bombing, you know, uh, numbers and, and percentages. Uh, well, uh, Bob and I kept it uh, focusing on the single Skyhawk, you the player. And to make it interesting, uh, we added in the, the division rules to, to keep it interesting. And then you can also play a, a campaign where you're managing a whole squadron if right. you wanted to. Right. So, um, yeah, uh, I, I it, saw that and I laughed. I'm like, yeah, I don't have time for that. <laughs> I'll, I'll, well, get to that I'll get to that over summer break or something. I'm like, I won't get to that anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, some, uh, surprisingly, some do. And uh, they, they, they've played it. And uh, so far, the feedback's been good. But it's always been the f- focus, uh, you against the system. And it's it, we keep it that way. Even in our other games, it's you against the system. Well, and I can see how a player would go through the first time and say, all right, th- this doesn't feel realistic to me because I'm coming back around to kill the target in multiple passes because I'm the only Skyhawk out there. And then they go, all right, I just want to go play the four ship because then the odds of me being able to do uh, a successful amount of damage to that target with a four ship versus a single um, makes for much more of that, as we would say, the one pass haul ass uh, kind of right. engagement through the target area. But, you know, once again, there there's a risk there. So players that that pick up Skyhawk, they got to understand you take a, a, a division out there, guys might not tank guy and, and the guys mm-hmm. might have a system failure. And, you know, there's one point in the rules you even talk about, you make the decision. Do you send somebody back to the ship by themselves? Or do you send a wingman with them? You know, there's, there's real world constraints that, that are hard to, to put into a game and to make it in a sense balanced. But I think yeah. it's a good thing to leave it up to the player and go, you know, it's your story. You, you tell exactly. it how you want, you know, yeah. do, you, do you peel three and four off to go back to the carrier together and one and two continue? Or do you do you play it like a game and go, yeah, whatever, four, you're broken. Go home by yourself. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. It's so. up to the player. We can't we can't write. We could write a rule for everything, but then you end up with a rule book, 50 to 60 pages. Yeah. And I so. think that's, that defeats the purpose of a solo game, because once again, you're you're telling a story, you're by yourself, you're you you have an automated interaction in a sense you really don't want more rules because more rules are going to slow that down. And, and I think at some point it becomes kind of a, a, a negative barrier to people playing mm-hmm. the solo game multiple times. Right. Because um, my experience, I've played, I've played a few solo games that are rules intensive. And while I walk out of it three hours later going, wow, that was, that was a, a game. I enjoyed it. Um, there's not a, oh, wow, I really want to jump back in and play. Um, and, and I'll be honest, I have that with Skyhawk. Uh, do I want to go back through the tables again? I'm still going to jam a pen in my eye going through all the tables, <laughs> but I want to go through cause I want to try different targets. I want to try, you know, different ordinance loads. I, there's, there's a desire to replay it, to see what the rest of the system has to show. So I think mm-hmm. that's a good thing. I think that's what, what you as a designer, um, you know, should strive for, but it's, it's just funny to me that some, some complex games don't get that. People play through it once and go, wow, that was, that was kind of tough. I'm good. Game goes on the shelf or, or goes to get sold to other people and never, uh, they never really play the full, the full depth of the game. 
Or they buy it and put it on their shelf at home and keep it forever, like yeah. a lot of people do. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking over, not a solo game, but I'm looking over at Red Storm and, <laughs> and its expansion and uh, Elusive Victory, which are games that I really want to play. And I actually, I, I don't find the system overly complicated. It's just, it's a big system to play. And so mm-hmm. it's not something I can pull out and even play through solo uh, and play both sides of, of the game because it just takes a lot of interaction to get through it. So um, yeah, but that's... That's kind of where we are as game game purchasers anyway. We always buy a bunch of games that may or may not actually move from shelf to table. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. As I'm looking exactly. at my copies of, of Ogre and Ogre Battlefields that I just picked up a few months back. So like I gotta get those classic games back out there. So Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Maybe yeah. one of these days. Um well let's let's talk a little bit about the game flow. We we alluded to it that it it deals generally with getting you from the carrier, getting you into the target, this four or more step phase through the target depending on how many reattacks uh how many passes through you make and then you you get off target but i think one of the important parts about the game flow is the allocation of those support assets because for for right or for wrong i had some good die rolls to start with and Mm -hmm. i knocked out some threats early on which was probably That's always good. good. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. it is. I didn't. It is. I didn't feel like I was fighting against the entire North Vietnamese army trying to shoot me down. Uh, but what was funny to me, and and this is probably how you intended it, is the stupid MIGs were the thorn in my side, um, mm-hmm. and I ended up, uh, you know, suppressing radars. But the stupid MIGs shot down my F eights. Then they shot down my F4s that I re-rolled from the AAA suppression. Uh, the SAM, as I suppressed it, or it shot down my uh, EA6 Alpha, uh, which then I had to suppress with the F4s before they got shot down by the MiGs. I, I went through every single one of my support aircraft, except for the E3 or the EA3 oh, whale some, that was uh, up there. You know, I had a great <laughs> role. I had four I had four support aircraft, but I literally lost everything except for my EW aircraft to the mix. Oh, wow. <laughs> so they you chewed everything hard, up. That was a hard first mission. I, I, that's why I was <laughs> laughing. I'm like, this this is probably not how it's supposed to go. But the good thing was it, it rolled me through every part of the rules to include the MIG engagement rules. Um, and so... I got to go through all that and see how those all work in there. Uh, and it was, um, uh, sure it was frustrating. Cause of course you want an easy first game that you're going to walk away from high five yourself and go, that was fun. Let's go play that again. Um, but the good part was I realized that the things you'd written in for the MIG rules, um, it could be a very vanilla mission. MIGs could, could get dispersed and you never have oh, to yeah. deal with them and you never see them or, they could take out the whoever your mid cap is, and they could be in your chili from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, mm-hmm. I, I, I actually, ironically enough, I, I don't care so much about the Sam interaction and some of the other stuff. I really want to go back and play through the MIG interaction and force myself to have to decide: Do I jettison? Do I fight the MIGs? Do I? What do I do? Um, because that interaction was good. I, I, I will say I laughed because it was the second caveat I got to. You know, the first caveat had been: Hey, here's how you kill a target unless you've got the Sam target. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. And then I went through that, and then I, I got through: Hey, here's how MIGs play. And oh, by the way, MIGs behave differently than other threats. Um, so uh, I thought those rules were good. Uh, did did that need a lot of work in your mind or is that something that you kind of brought from other game systems over? Was it a was it an easy construct to build or was it um, did it take a lot of playtesting? 
Uh, I'd have to say it wasn't hard to build. It didn't come from any of the other games. So, cause it's obviously with Sam's that hadn't been done before right. in my series of games, uh, nor the land radar installations. So it was, I started off, I read somewhere at one time, uh, when you're dealing with strength of units to so start with one. So that's what I did. So if the radars weren't knocked off, the Vietnamese added plus one. Right. If they were knocked off, then there was a negative one, or it, it aided the player. And so that's what I started out with, and it pretty much remained unchanged throughout all the all the play testing. It was just a matter of making sure we had all the tables correct to make sure the right uh, uh, modifiers for, for for the tables. Yeah. But uh, when I play the game, usually since you don't have that many assets to begin with, I, I focus on trying to suppress the MIGs and the SAMs first. And, and I kind of leave the radar alone because radar in itself can aid the, the MIGs <laughs> and it can aid the SAMs. It can't really do any damage to your plane per se. Exactly. So I, I go after the MIGs and I go after the SAM sites, try yep. to suppress them. Then I can go in and hit my target without being bothered. Yeah. It doesn't I, always work though. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I was kind of laughing because I, I did apply the, uh, the EA six to the, to the Sam's and that just, that wasn't, it, it that role just didn't work, you know, and it was purely the luck of the dice. It wasn't, you know, as you know, there's, it's not, it's the wrong choice. It's literally what you have that you can put it against those, those assets. Um, and so it was funny that right off the bat, I lost that. And I'm like, well, that didn't really pl- go out as I planned. <laughs> right. Yeah. It can happen. Yeah. It can so, happen. But it was, uh, that was an interesting, um, just way of looking at it because I know a lot of, a lot of games, at least that I've played recently, aerial war games that have, have tried to model multiple threats, um, you just don't do a good job of, of making you pick and choose what you want to suppress or what you want to, um, to, to keep out of the, out of the fight. And so I thought that was something you did really well in there was that generally, unless you're lucky, like I was, and you roll high enough to get four assets, um, you're not going to be able to engage everything on the first turn. So you're going like yeah, you you, you you to have to pick yeah. and choose. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're never going to have enough unless you really get high up in your support aircraft. You get five, you get six, then and then you might have some leeway. But when you're at four, yeah, I still burn. Go after all, what can hurt three you. Three of my four. Yeah, <laughs> in the mission. Yeah. So wasn't a good day for the F8s or the F4s or the EA6, but uh, but that's one of those things. Okay, um, you alluded to some of the other modules and pieces that that I haven't had a chance to play through. So there's obviously a search and rescue. Uh, kind of model in there there's also uh different missions so you aren't just constrained to navy targets you can go fly uh air force route packs and you've got an entire series of of the target list for the air force route packs you've also mm-hmm. got the mac v targets so you've got mm-hmm. kind of some conventional casts uh interdiction kind of targets in there yes uh, mm-hmm. were, were those late ads or were those things that um that from the beginning you said i want to kind of let the player branch out after they've played a mission or two and kind of start to figure things out uh actually all those targets are part of the joint chiefs of staff 95 list uh those are all actual targets and so we that's what we use for the base of all the targets in the game. So what you have in that list were actual targets brought up on, on that strike list that right. actually were were targeted. So that, those targets were in from the beginning. So as the player gained experience, he could, like you said, he could branch off and the game is really adaptable. If somebody wanted to, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to make some phantoms. 
and Air Force Phantoms or Marine Phantoms and make their own uh, game with that. You laugh because you're bringing up exactly kind of where my brain went to at first. And and I'm going to blame your cover art, uh, you know, from, you know, uh, now passed on Roy Grinnell, uh, amazing artist. Um, But I laughed because I I looked at this A4 and and the first thing I looked at, I'm like, I don't recognize the paint job. I looked at the tail letters and I'm like, well, that's a whiskey kilo. And I, I know that was VMA 224 out of Chu lie. I'm like, boy, this is a carrier-based game. And then I look at the tail and it says Navy and Marines. And then so I finally did the research and realized it was a commemorative, you know, painting he did for all of the Skyhawk operators yeah. in Vietnam. But it's just so funny because the when you when you say Skyhawks in Vietnam, you know, yeah, I think of the carrier guys, but being a Marine aviator, I immediately think of all the A4 guys in in Chu Lai and and those places and Operation Starlight. So you as soon as you put the Mac V targets in there for me, I was like, I'm gonna go play this as a land based close air support one. <laughs> well, you certainly could. I'm you certainly do could. But totally take his system and totally do something he probably does not want me to, but just just to have the fun of doing that, because because uh, you know, that's that's kind of you know, our collective history as Marines and the things that uh, that we're used to and the stories we've heard, you know, uh mm-hmm. relayed to us from from the aviators and the and the Marines before. Uh, so I'll have to see how that works for my next mission because I, I think I may uh, may try land base and just make some tweaks to the to the launch and recovery and and see how that works. <laughs> yeah, there you go, there you go. Well, that's you cool. certainly could. Yeah, you could. And, and I like I, I enjoy games that give the especially solo that give the the player the freedom to make it his his or her narrative um, because that's kind of why you're playing a solo game anyway. You don't have an opponent. You're not striving for that perfect victory. Um, so let it tell the story and, and see what cool things you can come up with. And so I've got to work my way through the target list, see what, uh, what fun things I can run across uh, and uh, what challenges that are, that are hiding in there in those tables for me. <laughs> yeah. The challenge in that target list was just, was uh, finding the exact locations of some of those targets. It appears to have been multiple names, the same name for different towns throughout the area. Uh-huh. So trying to pin down that one location for the for the uh, the right zone was tough. Yeah, well, and I can imagine that uh, when I looked through the target list and realized that you'd put the individual route packs and and all those things in there to to really sculpt what you were getting by being assigned that target. Uh, that was uh, that was a level of detail. I, I think a lot of people may not realize how difficult that is, um, and especially when you're dealing with uh, target names, town names, uh, in that are. First of all, foreign names, but may also be misinterpreted or anglicized when the target list is made. Yeah, I, yeah. That, that's. <laughs> yeah, I went so. Of- yeah, I went so far as to find uh, uh, period maps, yep. aviation type maps, navigation maps, to see if I could find the, the correct location on some of those targets. <laughs> yeah, it was tough. Yeah, it was tough. I I know exactly what you're talking about because some of the work that we did. Uh, when we were working for the Blood Red Skies Vietnam piece, uh, just some of the research I did trying to go back in and, and you try to pick out some of the names. And you're like, I actually have no idea where this is in North Vietnam. And none of the none of the flight data or mission data helps me. So, yeah, I I, I feel your pain on that one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've gone through that level of research more than once. Um, okay. Well, is there anything else about the game itself uh, you really want to talk about or that you want people to, to sit up and take notice of uh, whatever secret Easter egg you put in there that's really your, your favorite part of the game? 
Uh, there's nothing really. Uh, the game so far, um, the feedback that I've received has been good. A uh, few rules questions, not many. So that's that was that's been good. But um, if players want to see something added into linebacker two that's missing out of uh, the Skyhawks, they can certainly contact me and uh, let me know, and we'll see what we can do if it if it fits the system. Absolutely. Well, well, let's talk about linebacker two a little bit because you allude to that. Obviously, uh, you and I had corresponded about that probably about a year ago as the play testing for Skyhawk was was kind of wind, winding down. Um, you know, what are the plans for that game, and what really is going to be the big differences uh, between Skyhawk and linebacker besides obviously the year <laughs> and the focus yeah. of the aircraft? Right. Well, the focus will be, the goal will be for the player to bring the North Vietnamese back to the peace talks. So for the for the 11 days, you're bombing targets in in or near uh, Hanoi and Haiphong. Right. Uh, you'll fly either the B-52D or the B-52G. So both planes have to be kind of modeled in the, in the system. And that's where I'm at now is writing up the damage tables for the B-52D and the B-52G. Right. The electronic warfare end of it will be expanded um, because it was almost as much electronic warfare going on as it was hard munitions, right. uh, especially with your uh, electronic warfare officers on the B-52 versus the, the SAM and radar sites that the North Vietnamese had. So that's got to be modeled uh, a little bit more carefully in uh, B-52. And this, you'll have a chance to fly out of Thailand or Guam. <laughs> Lovely Guam. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but the game is close. The rules are finished. Um, it's just a matter of getting those tables done, which has taken me forever since I've got other obligations going on. So, yeah, life yeah. seems to always get in the way of finishing things. I, I, I know all too yeah. well how that works out. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, so if. For linebacker, the focus is really on your heavy strike on the B-52s out there. Uh, mm-hmm. Are all the other support aircraft going to be similar to how you did with Skyhawk, where you're putting MIG caps out there, you're putting uh, you know, defense suppression uh, teams out there, whether it be you know, EA-6s or, or you know, uh, 105s or F-4s going out there in those roles? Is, th- is uh, that all going to be recognizable to a Skyhawk player? Is it a different Right. Different That's model? going to be expanded, too. You'll still have your support aircraft, but there are certain aspects of the B-52 missions that have to be modeled in one of which is chafe, right? Because you had an F four chafe, you had your Phantoms throwing out chafe, <laughs> and they had an escort. Yeah. So now you have two different types of uh, 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 planes. You're going to have to work into the rules there. What is the chafe plane going to do itself, and what is the escort going to do? Right. So you have those things to model, and the B fifty two had chafe, uh, so that's going to be modeled. So, uh, but you'll have your uh, F, you'll have F one hundred fives. You're going to have um, of course, your intruders, you're going to have your Phantoms, uh, Air Force and Navy, uh, and Marines, uh, and Marine aircraft, too. So there's going to be a, a, a lot more. Well, that's that's why I always laugh and remind people, because uh, they tend to forget it, was that the 
EA6As were all Marine aircraft. <laughs> and that mm-hmm. even when the Navy uh, needed that uh, strike support, uh, they called on on Marine EA6As to do that because they didn't obviously have the EA6B uh, all-Navy design yet. But, um, you know, modeling the electronic warfare for the buff, uh, I'm sure, is... is is challenging on your end because even today there's probably still not a lot of information put out there in easily accessible sources about the right. the impact yeah. of electronic warfare from those aircraft uh, on the SA-2s and on the, the GCI radars and everything else that were out there. Yeah, the books I'm using for that are the, the pilot manuals. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got manuals for both. And, uh, and there's also a manual for the navigation and warfare systems too that I'm using. But I found interesting that there was a tactic that they use called burn through where they mm-hmm. try to override the signal on the, on the NVA radars to try to jam them. But you run the risk of, uh, frying up your equipment if you yeah. do. <laughs> so that's going to be in there. So yeah, you can try it and it, it, it more than likely will work, but you run the risk of losing your, your electronics for a right. while. Right. Yeah. So it's a, just another decision the player has to make. Yeah. That's, I, I think, uh, a lot of times electronic warfare decisions aren't modeled in detail. I know when, um, Phil and I worked, you know, talking in, in the earliest phases for Eagle and Fulcrum leader, uh, both are, are, probably our beeps and squeaks kind of backgrounds made us, uh, you know, want to make sure that electronic warfare was modeled, but it was one of those things where he said, it's, it's got to give tactical decisions, but man, we really don't want people having to think too much about this right? Yeah, <laughs> because it can get yeah. very boring very fast, but you know, you want people to say, okay, am I, am I going to, what am I going to give up to do these kind of things? And, and obviously each game has its own economies. They have, uh, if you're it's a leader game, like we're designing on, you have stresses in economy. Uh, obviously it's different inside, um, inside linebacker. Uh, so you've got things that you obviously will make trade-offs with. So I think that uh, that'll be fun for us to see, uh, when yeah. it comes out, how the, how the EW, uh, mechanic, uh, gives you a couple yeah. of things to offset. Yeah, we're getting there with the game. It's just it's just taking some time. Always put the shameless plug in. If you need more playtesters, Lead Pursuit is always here to help. <laughs> well, uh, I got a list on compiling, so at some point we'll end up getting to it, but nice. it, it's still a ways off. Oh, yeah, that, that's fine. We're patient. Yeah. I, I laugh because I've got so much stuff on my table right now that I need to dig through. Uh, that's the other reason why uh, everyone keeps saying, you need to do more gaming reviews. I'm like, no, I need to actually play the games that I'm going to try to review. Much yeah, less there you do go. the reviews. There you go. Get through and get the play in. Um, okay, well, let's talk about a couple other things real quick before we close. Uh, working with Legion Games, you've you've obviously published a lot through those guys. Um, yeah, they've been my only publisher. Yeah, get, let's give them a shout out. So, so oh, what, absolutely. what has it been like uh, working with those guys? What are, the, what are the things they've really helped you enhance in the games where's where's that relationship really been um my other big word of the night symbiotic uh you know where have, where have they really helped you out well they uh, i i do my own artwork and i'm not the best artist in the world <laughs> um so they do a great job with his group of artists that he farms the the, the work to they've done a fantastic job with the artwork and and, and the components and randy has been great with uh, doing the layouts with the rules that we sent him along with the tables so it's it's been a good working relationship, and he's just getting ready to retire from his real job if he hasn't already retired. So uh, you can devote his full time to the gaming industry now. Well, that's good. Yeah, this is the first Legion game uh, I'd picked up, and I was I was super impressed with the quality, of the components, um, the the rule books, and everything were easy to flip through. Yeah. 
great, great map board. So um, please pass on to the guys at Legion. Uh, I, I thought they did a really good job with it. And so for my my first, you know, hands on one of their games, uh, sure, sure, there's a lot of things. Sure, there's stickers to put on counters, whatever. Everybody, mm-hmm. everybody has something that slips through the proofreading um, uh, piece. But I, I thought it was high quality uh, components overall, and was was really impressed with at least what I got for the money um, as as the quality of the game itself, just the physical. Yeah, quality all, of it. All, I've got several other games that they that they've done besides the ones uh, they've done for me, and uh, the quality, the maps, and the counters, the, the all the stuff has been top notch. It's it's that's all been good. Absolutely. Well, cool. Well, let's talk about where people can find you on the internet because uh, you're not in all the necessarily the same places that some game designers are. How? What's the best way for people to contact you? They can contact me through my website. That's stephenkdixon.com. Perfect. Yeah, he That'd will be not the perfect be on board. way to do it. Yeah, exactly. He won't be on Board Game Geek. He's not on Consim World. Uh, no, so- <laughs> I, I can't. I don't have the time, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, oh, trust me, I understand. <laughs> Those can become uh, absolute time sucks as you get in there and and either respond to questions or, or go down rabbit holes of of uh, different things. So, yep. uh, totally understand that. You drop uh, drop Steve a line on his website. Best way to find him. Uh, and give him some feedback about the game. You know, let him know what you guys liked, what you didn't like. Um, also, at the same time, let Legion know about the components, uh, things that you thought worked out well, things that didn't. Um, personally, I was super happy with the counters. Uh, I laugh. Maybe that must make me an old guy uh, who remembers the, the percentage of how many Avalon Hill counters you'd punch out and rip them uh, and didn't have that problem with Legion's counter sheets. <laughs> so that, that yeah. already that won me over there. High quality uh, counters, easy to punch out. Um, but, uh, I really want to thank you for coming on talking about Skyhawk. Uh, we're obviously going to do a couple more shows with you. Talk about some of the other efforts that you've got in there. And when linebacker comes out, we're definitely going to talk about that and hopefully get a couple quick playthroughs. All right. Sounds good. Well, thanks for being on the show. And I would like to remind all of our listeners, please like and rate the podcast out there. That's how other people can find the podcast. That's how we realize what you all like and don't like. And we blatantly ignore what you don't like. And we go right on from there. So with that being said, we'll talk to you all in the future and keep climbing for advantage. 